Good morning, church. You're looking so good today. I don't know if anyone's told you that yet, but you look fantastic. It's so good to see you in the house of the Lord, each and every one of you. It's a beautiful day, amen? Who likes that weather? Who's liking the cold weather? You like, like show of hands, I'm going to remind you if there's a snowpocalypse again that you asked for this. I still miss summer already. Missing summer already. Missing. I love summer. Um, we're in a series. This I don't know. I, I was going to say this month, but I don't know how long it's going to go. If it's just a few weeks or not, but it's called satisfied, satisfied. And Thanksgiving is a time of reflecting on the goodness of God and what He's given to us and just the relationship that we have with him. And many of us find ourselves, especially in the holiday time, and I imagine it will even be increased due to uh, supply chain issues, uh, due to pandemic issues, due to mandate issues. I imagine that you and I will struggle, maybe, if not us, our neighbors will, with contentment this holiday season with feeling satisfied where they are and where God has them and what's going on in our life. So I'm hoping to stir some things in us uh, today. You know, there are five things. I should do a series on this, um, but there are five things that every human needs. Number one is purpose. Uh, Number two is freedom. Number three is identity. Number four is hope. And number five is what I'm talking about today, and that's satisfaction. Every human needs a sense of satisfaction, right? Um, And so we're going to focus on that today. Now, last week I talked to you about, uh, in Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler who He came and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus replied, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill, do not murder, do not commit adultery, honor your father, mother. And he replies, yes, I've done all those things since I was a boy. And Jesus replied, but one thing you lack. Go sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. And at this word, the rich young ruler turned and he walked away sad. Now, last week I postulated to you that many of us show up to church or show up to an encounter with Jesus, wherever that is, and he brings conviction to our heart and we celebrate the conviction, but we never change. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a good word. Oh, yeah, that really stepped on my toes. Oh, man, that really spoke to me. And, and we feel somehow that the awareness of conviction was the goal. And that wasn't the goal. That was the launching point for what the Lord really wanted to do in your heart, which was to create transformation. We, we see this with young people all the time. I mean, I'm a... I'm a recovering youth pastor. And for 10 years, Carrie and I were youth pastors and 
went to camp and man, it was just fire. Every single youth camp, kids' lives were changed, transformed. They encountered Jesus. It's like they just saw the glory cloud right there. You know what I mean? And on the drive home, they're like, my life is never going to be the same. And then one month later, their life was the same because they encountered conviction without commitment. And when we have conviction without commitment, we never encounter transformation. And so let's, I mean, I, I celebrate conviction. I mean, it, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, by the way. It's not my job to make you feel guilty. That's not what God is trying to do either. He never wants us to feel guilty for our stuff. Conviction is that inner knowing, that inner witness that says, who I am is not who God has called me to be. He's called me to something higher, and because of that, I say yes, and that's what repentance is. Repentance is changing direction, taking my eyes off of what I thought I was onto what God says that I am, and then just taking a step. Anybody ever repented, changed your belief system, and you just took a step in the direction? You didn't know where you were headed. You didn't know where it was going to end up. You just were walking, and then... Five years down the road, you look back and you think, I would have never realized that I had come this far in this short amount of time. Anyone ever experienced that? Where it's just like on faith, you're like, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to live out and walk out what I believe he's called me to be. That's the beauty of conviction followed by repentance, followed by commitment. We see a life that is transformed. And that was my big point last week. I may have just preached it better than I did last week because it was really good what I just said. I feel the Spirit of God on it, actually. The point last week that I made the big, you know, the big crescendo of the sermon, if you slept in, you still need to go back and listen to it. But it was conviction followed by commitment releases contentment. Well, today I want to help stir up your com commitment to contentment. All right, I want, to, I want to rattle your cage just a little bit, just enough to get you to realize that there is more. If you'll stand with me in our text today, I want to just honor the word. I'm going to read through our text and then I'll, I'll jump back and come back to it. You'll never guess what my text is for the day. I want to take you for the first time today to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll start with verse 6, read through 10. Because I need something else to say other than what Sherry's already preached in my sermon. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith 
and pierced themselves with many pangs. Then I want to read to you Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Philippi, and he says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you've ever memorized a verse, it, this may have been your flagship verse, you put it on the mirror. If, if your mom ever made you memorize them, this is probably one of the ones that you learned growing up. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you say it with me? I can do one more time, one more time. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for this word. God, I just feel you stirring in the room already. You're working in the hearts of people already. I sense it. God, I ask that you would, God, let us move today beyond conviction which is beautiful in and of itself. The Holy Spirit can bring conviction to our life. God, let us take the next step into commitment today. God, let us be stirred for contentment. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. So some of you have been asking about updates on our home. Um, back in July, I believe, July 8th, 3.21 p.m. and 15 seconds, uh, we had a plumbing issue. <laughs> and that plumbing issue resulted into a home issue. Uh, it flooded our downstairs, half of our downstairs, and it was July 8th, right, babe? I, I just made that date up. I know it was... <laughs> It was in the beginning of July, yeah? Pretty sure it was July 8th. Um, and I'm, I know it was in the afternoon, because I know, anyway. Uh, July 8th, August 8th, September 8th, October 8th, November 8th. So for four months, we've been living in a, a home that doesn't really function the way it was designed to function. My wife and I are staying upstairs in the guest room. Thank God it has its own bath, bathroom because we have three other kids upstairs that I would not want to share a bathroom with them. Um, but we, we share this tiny little bath and we go up and down the stairs multiple times a day. It's fun. Like we've always wanted to do that. Um, we, we left our master suite on the first convenient floor and we're staying up on the second floor. And uh, in, in we called insurance, and I, I love my insurance, by the way. I've heard a lot of people say, I, I know insurance is rough and it's tough. I've had nothing but good things to say about my insurance. They have gone over and above anything we've asked. They've approved anything we've asked. They've approved. It's been absolutely wonderful. 
Uh, so I'll give a little shameless plug to USAA. They take care of our veterans. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't hear us clapping, but, you know, we're still honoring them because they're honoring us, you know. But four months is a long time to live in a house that's not repaired. And so this past week, I've, I don't know, maybe on Monday or so, I, we, nothing's happened in our home, guys. We got new drywall. They put the drywall in. They painted. And I know that sounds like something, but like all of our wood floors have to come out. Our bathroom is unusable. The tile has to come out. Like it's a, it's a mess and it is a big project that we're just ready to be done. Do you know what I mean? Like Christmas is coming. Come on. I'm ready to get this going. So I talked to the project manager on Monday and I, you know, I've been kind of pressuring him, but then we, a week were, we're out of town. And so I'm like, before I left, I told the project manager what my expectations were. When I get back, I want to see a pod in my front driveway and we're going to move our stuff out and I want you to have this scheduled and that scheduled and let's have this wood stuff done. And he said, okay, boss, we got it. We're, we're doing it. I'm like, all right, this guy's awesome. Well, Monday, I call him to check on the status. He doesn't call me back. I'm harassing him all day. Monday, Tuesday, I get a word from him. He finally calls after I keep, you know, harassing him. And he says, oh, Trey, I've got bad news for you, bad news. I'm like, give it to me. What, what's the bad news? Well, I'm not your project manager anymore. They've, they've pulled me off of your house, and they've assigned someone else to your house. I said, oh, really? When did this happen? Oh, that was about eight days ago. And I said, so you're telling me that eight days have passed, and I've had no communication from the project manager who's supposedly overseen the remodel of my home? Uh, yeah, Trey, I'm, I'm really sorry. Well, needless to say, I fired the construction team that's been taking care of my home the last four months, and I called insurance, and I said, is there anything we can do? Is there any way that I can be in charge of the repairs of my home? Because I will make it happen. And they said, Trey, we don't work that way, uh, but, but seeing your case over the last four months, we're just so embarrassed because you went with the company that we preferred, we recommended, and this is not preferred treatment that you've been getting. So we're going to make the exception. We're going to let you manage your project and we'll send you the funds. We'll stop payment on all of those checks and we'll send you the funds and let you manage it. And I will have you know that in the last six days, I have gotten more done in my home than has been done in my home for the last four months. Can I get an amen? I told my wife, I even feel more muscular now that I'm in construction. <laughs> she has been flirting with the project manager, though, which is me. Um, so anyway, I, we're now seeing progress, and this week we're getting the bathroom should be done by Thursday. The, uh, it's just like it is coming it is coming together. And uh, it, it, it's awesome because right now we're living in a home that's under construction. Do you know what I mean? Like our lungs are coated with dust. Uh, if I sneeze and, and you see smoke come out, I'm not smoking. I've just been living in a home filled with dust. 
so it's just absolutely, you know, every 30 minutes we have to, you know, clean the house because it's just bad. But there's coming an end. And last night uh, I was thinking uh, in just a couple of weeks, I'm going to sit in a home with nothing to do, no contractor to call, no wall to measure, no price to look up at Home Depot or Lowe's or Floor and Decor, and I'm just going to turn on the TV, which I don't even really watch TV, but I will on this day. I will just sit down, and I'm going to turn on the TV, and I'm going to just sit next to my wife, and we are going to watch Hallmark. Not because I want to, but because my wife is there and my home is done. Do you know what I mean? And I thought, I thought we will finally be content when the home is done. We will finally be done. But the truth is, once our home is done, it's only going to be a very brief window before my wife, before we decide that something else needs to happen. Something else needs to get fixed. Something else needs to get painted. Something else needs to get rearranged. Something else needs to get bought. Are you with me? We're going to decide to do something else because the home renovation isn't our ticket to satisfaction and contentment. Now, I'm struggling with that right now. I'll be honest with you. I feel like once my home is done, I'm just going to be content. But that's kind of how contentment works. It gets us to chase the thing that's right out in front of us that's unattainable in that moment. But then once we step into that thing, there's another thing. And you probably can think of examples. You know this has happened to you. There's always something else. We think, I will finally have peace when that situation changes. Or I will finally feel secure when that person accepts me. Or I will finally stop clicking add to cart after this purchase. You know, we always think it's the next thing that is going to satisfy us. And the question is, how do we accept reality and simultaneously pursue change? How do we step into contentment and be okay where we are? How do I walk into the home on Camille Court with the amazing new project manager and feel content as the dust is flying in the sunlight, yet still continue to be driven and pursue progress? I mean, that's, that's my circumstance. Yours is different, but it's the same problem. How do you keep moving forward while being content where you currently are? To understand that answer, we must understand, fully understand the word contentment. Contentment. Contentment is the ability to have internal peace and imperfect circumstances. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he was in prison. The text that we just read, uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, He's sitting in a cell writing to you and I. He's in chains, he's in prison, and he's encouraging you and I to be content. (laughs) Let's just read that again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, 
For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Can you imagine him pinning that in a dark cell right now? Isolated, maybe hungry, maybe dehydrated, maybe cold or hot, I don't know. But he's in chains, he is in prison, and he has learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then the man in prison, who can't unlock his own cell, declares, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The man who can't go to the kitchen to make a snack says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The man who can't see his family or his friends or decide when he wants to go to bed or when he wants to wake up has just pinned to you and I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you get a a visual of where he is and what he's feeling, it just hits a little bit different. You know what I mean? It's like you're gearing up for that interview or you're gearing up for that promotion and you look in the mirror, you psych yourself up and you're thinking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But imagining the Apostle Paul in, in bondage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's learned to be content. He's learned it. If you're not content, give yourself a break today. Give yourself some grace. Because it's something you grow into. It's something that you learn. The Apostle Paul says he's learned the secret. Not only do you have to learn it, somewhere there's a secret recipe. And who's going to give it to you? You ever, but this is an aside, this is not in my notes, but considering it's almost Thanksgiving, let me just say, and please don't raise your hand, nod, or flinch when I say anything, um, but you ever known someone, you ask them for a recipe, and they say, oh, I'm sorry. It's a secret. Uh, and if that's you, Pretend I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to everyone else who wouldn't do such a ridiculous thing. Right, right? I asked for the recipe because I kind of liked it. I didn't say it was so good it feels like top secret information that I'm going to go sell on eBay. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, it's a secret. I just personally think if you like something that I make, I will give you the recipe, and I hope you just share it everywhere because I am flattered that you would make something that I've that I've made. You know what I mean? Won't happen very often, but if you ever find something I make that you want the recipe, I will give you 10 of them. I will make copies handwritten. He's learned the secret to be content. He's grown into it. He's gone through so much that uh, he can be sitting in prison in the circumstance that I just described and still be encouraging you and I. 
And, and the culture of Rome, by the way, is completely godless at this time. There is, there is zero respect for morality. There is zero measurement of ethics. The Roman culture was equivalent probably to ancient Babylon, the days of Noah, where it's just every man for himself. You, you just do whatever you want for pleasure. You don't take any regard for what God says or his ways or his word. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about back then. Doesn't it kind of sound like today? Rome was awful. It was ridiculous and crazy. Not only that, there were Pharisees who didn't like Paul. So he's getting pummeled by the world and he's getting pummeled by the religious people. But he says that Christ can manifest contentment. In all of these things, I'm being, I'm being beat up by everyone around me. I'm currently in a cell. But Jesus Christ can manifest contentment. Our first block of text, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Um, by the way, Paul is warning us in... First Timothy chapter six, you should read the first five verses. They're, they're brilliant. It teaches you, teaches you how to determine if someone is a false prophet. It's really good information. Uh, I'll just tell you real quick. Um, he, in verses one through five, the apostle Paul says that a false prophet won't stick to the word of God. So any person proclaiming their feelings or their experience over the word of God is not speaking for God. They're speaking for some God, but not him. Um, and, and then the other characteristic of a false prophet is they have attitude issues, which is surprising uh, to think that that's an indicator. Some of us in the room are like, oh, I better straighten up. I'm on the verge of false prophecy, you know. Uh, but false prophets have attitude issues. They're arrogant. They are angry a lot. Um, the spirit of antichrist, so an antichrist against Christ, works in a false prophet. It also works in all of those attitudinal issues. And so a false prophet in verses one through five will have those things. But he goes on to say that false prophets use godliness as a means to gain. All right? Godliness, a false prophet will claim to be a Christian so that they can gain something out of it. They can gain money, they can gain connections, they can gain favor. And we see that today, don't we? Throughout the world, we see people claiming to be Christian because it, well, at one point it was the cool thing to do. It's no longer the cool thing to be a real Christian, that's for sure. Christians are about to head into the greatest persecution we've ever seen on planet Earth. Don't take my word for it, read the Bible. It's in there, that's where we're headed. Uh, it used to be in vogue to be Christian. Now you already sense the distancing, right? People that are truly Christian are called religious nuts or fanatics. They're, the people who just claim to be Christian are now separating or distancing themselves from true believers. If you don't sense that to be true, take inventory of your relationship with Jesus. 
If you don't sense that the world, the false Christianity is distancing itself from you, you may be with them. Alas, that's not my sermon, so let me keep going. But godliness uh, is a means to financial gain. That's what the false prophet would say, okay? And that's where our text picks up and the word but comes in. Anytime you read but, B-U-T, in scripture, you got to back up a couple of verses because he's saying something. So he says, these false prophets believe that godliness is a means to gain. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So he's speaking of not just proclaiming to be a Christian. This godliness is actually living a holy life empowered by the Holy Spirit that is within you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. By the way, there's a whole other sermon in these four verses, and I'm just going to tell you what those points would be if I was preaching that sermon. I'm not, but every verse is a point. So you might want to write this in your Bible just next to it. It's a It's a good translation, all right? Verse number one says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The takeaway from that verse is wealth does not bring great gain. Wealth does not bring great gain. What brings great gain? I heard it. Come on, class. Don't be shy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. That point is wealth is not lasting. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. That point is basic needs are enough to satisfy everybody. I know it doesn't feel like that because Christmas is around the corner and we've heard about the supply chain issue and, oh, there might not be enough stuff on the shelf. So let me go ahead and pack up and get stuff for Christmas now because basic needs aren't enough to satisfy. But basic needs should be enough to satisfy, Scripture is telling us. And then verse 9 But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And that point is our desire for wealth leads to sin. Maybe we don't have contentment because we don't know what contentment is. Maybe it's one of those things where you know when you have it, you know when you don't have it, but you don't know how to define it, and you don't know how to get it. Maybe contentment is like that for us. Maybe it would do us well to look at the definition of contentment today. So I did a little research for you, and I brought in the Greek 
The Greek word for contentment, if you want to write this down, it's autarkia, autarkia. Do you see that? A-U-T-A-R-K-E-I-A. Wow, that was a mouthful. Autarkia, contentment. Greek, autarkia, A-U-T. And it means this, self-satisfaction, self-sufficiency. Now that should raise a red flag for you. Something should feel off in this moment. I'm telling you that the Greek for contentment means self-satisfaction, self-sufficiency. Does that not feel a little off? I, even if you can't tell me why, I'm not going to take I'm not going to take a raise of hands and quiz you. But does something feel off about that definition? We're being told that we need contentment, and then the definition is self, 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 self. Does that feel a little bit off? Okay. A U T is the prefix A U T of autarkia. In fact. Uh, that's where we get our, our prefix auto, A-U-T-O. Auto is a prefix, by the way. Uh, I'll give a few words. Autonomous. Anyone heard that word? Autonomous um, is, is you're able to do things by yourself. Autonomous, A-U-T, autonomous. Another one, automobile. You don't have to take public transport. Thanks to automobile, you can have uh, uh, be mobile yourself without a bus, right? With, without a carriage filled with people, you have your own automobile. It's movement for yourself. Um, you don't have to drive a stick shift, by the way, if your car is an automatic. That means it can shift itself. The airplane can fly itself on autopilot. Do you, do you see? Everything with A-U-T is, is all about self, right? Auto equals self. And those that are chasing contentment often fall into the faulty belief system, even of what we see on the surface level of the Greek. Self. Self. If it's, it's going to be, it's up to me. That's what we think contentment is all about, just making things happen, just making your home renovation happen, just firing the contractors and making things happen, and suddenly you're going to be content because it's all about self. It's all about being in charge and being in control. And on the surface, contentment appears to be about self. We just looked at the Greek. The Greek doesn't lie. Contentment equals Self-satisfaction. Is that not what it told us? Contentment equals self-satisfaction. But if you dig deeper, if you dive a little bit deeper in the Greek and you go to the root word of the Greek, we discover that there is really a better translation of self in this context. Contentment equals self-satisfaction, but even further, more deeply, it's inward satisfaction. So this notion of self, it's more like the contentment isn't out here. It's inward. Now that feels right. Right? 
You got the Holy Spirit living inside you, empowering you to walk in the grace and the power of God. And contentment is not beyond your fingertips. It's not driven by self, like the shallow Greek led us to believe. But if we go to the root of it, we understand it's just inward. Inward. How is it possible to be content even in chaos? Philippians 4.13, that verse that you know and you love, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll tell you, contentment hinges on getting the important words in this verse. Let's leave it on the screen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So your son comes to you. He's timid and he's shy and he can't face the football team. And you want to convince him that he's strong. He's powerful. So you say, son, look at me. Say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, son, you didn't say it. You didn't say it with conviction. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and you teach him it's I is the power, power word. That's why there's no contentment. You won't find contentment in that exchange because I is not the power word. Oh, all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. That means no matter where I am, what's going on, I can do all things. Even the things I don't think I can do, I can do all things. Listen, all things is not the power phrase in this verse. Some of you have been lying to your kids since they were born saying you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. That ain't true. That ain't true. It takes a certain kind of something to be a brain surgeon. It, it takes a certain kind of something to be a mechanic, right? I, I'm not one. I know. It takes something other than this to be a mechanic. It takes a certain kind of something to be a herbalist, a gardener, good with plants, like a, a, a leaf whisperer. I know because I'm not one. She is. My parents would have been dumb when I was a kid to say, you be anything you want. You want to be an herbalist? You can be it. No, I can't. I walk past them and they die. We get so set on all things that then we set ourselves up for failure because we lead, lead our kids to believe that the world is theirs to take it. And that's just not true. God has destined them with a purpose and a gifting and a calling on their life and re released them to step into that lane of life rather I call it the American Idol Syndrome, where they try out for American Idol and mom just thinks it's amazing. And the only reason you're even seeing it on screen is because it's so awful, they know that the whole world is going to laugh. Do you know what I mean? You weren't born to sing. All things is not the key pickup on this verse. I can do all things. I can do all things. 
all things through him. It is through him, by him, with him, and for him that whatever he instructs me to do, I can do it. Whether I feel equipped or not, whether I feel ready or not, whether I've made mistakes or not, whether I've got the education or not, whether I've got the finances or not, it's not through this. It's through him. I can do all things through him. You see, we've been quoting that verse just to go take on the day. But maybe we need to quote that verse to release the pain through him. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Says a man in a cell by candlelight with a pen. You don't choose contentment. You receive it. Contentment is in the person of Christ. So it is, as the apostle said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, I, so much I didn't say. Let me, what, Lord, what do you want from me right now? There, there are two things in the room that I need to address. One is contentment regarding finances. That's an area that contentment really struggles. People struggle with contentment in the area of finances. They, they build their portfolio. They build their educate, go get more education, build their skills. And, and, and we should be driven. Listen, the church should hustle more than the world hustle in a good way like we should work we when our boss leaves the office we should be the one that's trustworthy and actually works what we're getting paid for not goofs off while the boss is gone like we should be we should be driven but when i say the word financial contentment to you what image comes before your mind it, it might be an image of a beach a cruise sitting there in a hammock under palm trees while the cabana boy brings you a latte. A latte. Do you have lattes on the beach? I don't know. What do you have on the beach? What do, what do you... I don't know about that. What is a pina colada? I don't know if I've had a... Is that coconut? I like coconut. All right, so you, a little coconut with a straw, whatever. Maybe that's contentment. Whatever visual image comes before you when I say financial contentment... That's the direction that you're going to head when you're searching for contentment. But can I just tell you, the beach is awesome. We love it. It's one of our favorite places to be. And I think I might like the coconut with the straw as well. But that doesn't bring contentment. Contentment is inward satisfaction regardless of the outward circumstances. Some of you in the room have just gotten fired because of a vaccine mandate or you're about to be fired because of a vaccine mandate. Listen, contentment isn't about if you're getting that next check. Contentment is knowing that God is in control 
the inward satisfaction regardless of external circumstances. Being content, by the way, with money is so important. Thank you, Lord. You know John the Baptist? John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. He was like the late, last greatest prophet, right? He was in the wilderness. He ate locusts and honey, and he shouted, Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You know, he's ridiculous. Do you know one of his massive, major themes of preaching that you will never hear a sermon on? Well, maybe now. Other than this moment, this clip, this soundbite, you will never hear a sermon on this. John the Baptist, when the people said, what is it that you want to teach us? You know what he said? Be content with your wages. He was the one selected to usher in the Messiah. And one of the major themes was be content with what you're paid. So there are people in the room that you just need a release of contentment. You just need to receive contentment regarding your finances. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet so I can pray for you. Don't do that now because there's a, there's a second level of contentment that I believe is in the room and maybe watching online that the Lord wants me to deal with. For those that are familiar with recovery, no matter what the issue A-A-N-A-S-A, shopping, Shopaholics Anonymous, food addictions, like any addictions at all. There's There's this prayer that the group uses. It's called the Serenity Prayer. Now, you may be familiar with the Serenity Prayer because it's not solely owned by recovery programs. You see it on mugs all across the world. Uh, And the prayer goes something like this. Um, uh, Thank you. Lord, give me... These are all the recovering people in the room. Lord, I'm just kidding. I I really know it like the back of my hand. I teach people to say it all the time, and I just went went right past me. Uh, Give me the strength. What is it, baby? Give me this. God, give me the strength to accept what I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now that's contentment. The courage to move and to do and to be in the areas where the Lord says that you can and you should. Right? The courage to move and to to do something. And then to not do something. If you shouldn't, to not control. Don't control. If you shouldn't control, let the Lord control the things that are outside of your scope of operation. Just totally release and give it to him. And then have the wisdom to know the difference. That is contentment. So there may be people in the room where the Lord needs to just kind of deposit contentment to you in the area of control. Yeah, control freaks are in the house. If that's you, will you stand? If you if you would like prayer, you would like contentment for this issue of control. Control. Will you stand? Huh? I'm standing, count me as standing, a man who four months in a destroyed home needs some control right now. Carrie cleaned the kitchen yesterday, did the dishes just so we had some control over one small area of cleaning, right? Control, all right, good, 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 good. Thank you for 
being courageous enough to admit that you have an issue with control. I do too. And control comes and goes. It, it, it builds and it wanes, you know? But Lord, we trust you today. We trust you to let our hands off of it. God, you care about the situation more than we do. You see more than we do. So God, in this moment, God, we receive from you instead of control, instead of holding on with white knuckles and a clenched fist, trying to make things happen ourselves. God, we just release our hand, just open our hands right now, and we receive the contentment that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, it is a lie that we've been believing that we can actually do anything to fix this. But God, we run to you right now because we know that you can. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Go ahead and stay standing. And anyone that would like prayer regarding finances, contentment in your finances. Finances have been stressing you out. Maybe, maybe it's both control and finances. Just stay standing. But anyone in the room for finances, please stand to your feet right now. Go ahead and get the team up. I'm out of time. I'm out of time, but let me let me for those that are with finances, can I just say something really honest to you right now? God can't bless you more unless you're content. Because without contentment, God's blessing becomes a curse. I'll say that again. Without contentment, God's blessing becomes a curse. Because when we get the blessing, then we need more. It feeds our need for more. It feeds the greed without contentment. So your prayer for more is really a bit misguided. What we need to be praying for is contentment, peace, and surrender and then you'll find that more comes your way so father right now in the name of jesus every person that is standing god i thank you that you see their financial need i thank you god that you've already provided for everything that they need god and it's a scary world out there right now it is so unstable right now. We don't know how to plan, how to prepare from one day to the next, God. We don't know whether we're coming or going some days, God. It's just so unpredictable, but God, we just trust you anyway. God, I've never seen your seed begging for bread. God, we are sons and we are daughters. And God, yes, we need the provision, but more than that, we just need you. We need to be confident in our identity. We need to be confident to know who we are, that we are God's child in the flesh walking around these parts of town. And you're going to surely provide for us. You're surely going to make a way. You're surely going to see to it. God, you've never failed us before. Why would you start now? So God, we receive contentment in the area of our finances. In the name of Jesus.